Salutations to all the nations. Welcome to the D Deep Red Go Show, hosted by the prettiest podcaster of all time, the ultimate optimist, the guy who is dashing and has boyish charms. Me, there is D. Hopefully, you guys are doing well. If you're new here, wondering to yourself, what does Fuego mean? Here's the fact of the matter, and I'll put it like this it means fire in Spanish. All right, that's all it means. That's all it ever will mean. And if you were the turn-in listener, thank you for coming by once again. I appreciate the support. Yeah, it is still February, which means it's still Black History Month. So we're doing another Black History Month episode. And the star of the show, other than Didi, is going to be W.E.B. Du Bois. Now, I learned about him recently, within the last two or three years. And I think he is a very interesting guy and had interesting thoughts and processes and accomplished a lot in his lifetime and he's seen a whole lot but i'll get to that as the episode goes forward but before we even get into the episode i need a favor of you i need you to make a good review on apple itunes a five-star review so it does well with the rating of the show because you want to see the show prosper so you gotta make those five-star reviews on apple itunes also subscribe to this on google play music Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and of course, Spotify. So I'm on all those different top 10, top five networks. I'm on other networks as well. So as long as you have a phone or a device where you can search me up on the internet with, I'll be on there. So you want to listen to the show. Also, make sure you share with this on every social media platform that you so choose to use because if you share it shows me the people's champ dd that you care all right so before we get into the fact of the matter which is web the boys we're going to talk about your grammar and why you need to fix it so this is a segment i like to call fix your grammar so a lot of the times we use different words and Sometimes we use it incorrectly, sometimes we use it correctly, but most of the times we use it incorrectly. And I didn't even know this until recently, but thank God for university. <laughs> so one of my professors taught, gave me this book called The Element Elements of Style, and it's written by three different authors, Strunk, White, and Coleman. So you can find this at your local bookstore, library, wherever. And it's really interesting because it teaches you all the grammar errors that we make or punctual errors that we make that we thought in our minds are correct, but is actually incorrect. So one of the ones that were in this segment of it is this is chapter four. So words are and expressions that are commonly misused. So we're gonna talk about that today. And a word or words that we commonly misuse, two of them are farther, F-A-R-T-H-E-R, and then further, F-U-R-T-H-E-R. Now you're asking yourself, how am I misusing it? Well, here is the fact of the matter. It's because we use it interchangeably, but it's really not. When you talk about being going farther, is a derivative or explanation of far. So you're talking about distance here. And a lot of times we use further as in talking about go, going farther. So going about distance, we use further sometimes as distance. 
and is not so. So the car goes far, F-A-R. So you're supposed to use it that way and that way only because it's talking about distance or, yeah, it's talking about distance. But when you're talking about further, you should talk about it in sense of as a time or as a quantity of a word. So I'll look into this further, not farther. I'm going to look into it further. So we're going into it with depth. So you're quantifying it as well as you could say in regard to time at a further time, I'll be in such and such a place. So it could be a delaying of a time in a sense. So hopefully that's clear. So further is talking about either a pursuit of things. So in a sense, quantifying a word or as a time. And then when you're talking about farther, you're talking about in regard to distance. So that is the segment I like to call fix your grammar because it's important. You can use this and it's transmittable to your life at large, everyday conversations, as well as uh, communicating your point through words. So make sure you understand what you're saying before you say it, because it helps dwindle down confusion. This is the D D Fuego Show. Thanks for elements of style for the inspiration. And we will be right back. So today we are talking about W.E.B. Du Bois. Now he's one of my favorite sociologists and black thinkers. And it's interesting his story. So he was a writer, African-American writer, teacher, sociologist, activist. And he basically transformed the life of black citizens in America. So he actually lived in during three different eras. He lived, he was born into the slavery era of America or like the ending. Then he was in the reconstruction era as well as the Jim Crow. And then he lived to see all the way up to the civil rights era. So two of his famous books that he actually has written, one of them is The Souls of Black Folk, which is interesting because he actually, in essence, was able to do an experiment where he highlighted how black people would see each see themselves in the American society. So he talks about this concept of double consciousness, where it basically, to sum it up, a black person sees themselves in two different ways. They see themselves as a black individual being oppressed or a victim, and they see themselves as an American. Now, they see their their livelihood in two different lenses. And sometimes when it comes to the black females, they see it in three because they're a female as well as they are a black person as well as an American. So that was the interesting thing. He did this study in Philadelphia after he moved from Massachusetts. Now, to fully understand what he talks about, I'm going to read you a couple excerpts, but I'm not going to do it right now, but I'm going to give you a quick overview of his life 
and why I think his work is really important. And another one of his books is Our Spiritual Strivings or, yeah, Strivings. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about that. So getting right into it. He was born in Great Barrington, Massachusetts on February 23rd, 1868. So his birthday is going to be coming up soon. By the time you hear this, it'll be his birthday because I'm posting this on Friday. So his birthday is this Saturday. So it is interesting to see that. He was born into the North, so he wasn't necessarily a slave. So he was born as a free man by definition. So that was really cool to see that he was able to do that, even though that he was a free man during 1883. He began to write articles for uh, papers such as the New York Globe and the Freeman. So he was able to do all that because he was born in a different circumstance. In contrary to who we talked about last week was um, Booker T. Washington. He was born as a slave and then had to free himself. So he was actually influenced a lot by the Renaissance era, not talking about the Harlem Renaissance, but the Renaissance in Europe. And Renaissance just means rebirth. So he was heavily influenced through that and the Victorian way of life because of that time. It was the end of the 17th century, if I'm not correct. Yeah. No, the 19th century, heading into the 20th century. So you can see the Victorian aspect with the whole post-industrial revolution taking place. So he actually went to school at Fisk University, which is another university uh, historically back college. And I would like to check it out. It was in Nashville, Tennessee. So he got to experience the both aspects because he was raised in a predominantly white area, but in the north. And he went to school in the South, so he got to see how people were treated in the North compared to how they were treated in the South. Now, his tuition was paid through by several churches in, in the Great Barrington area. And he actually became an editor of the Herald, which is a student magazine at his school. And then after he was... This is why I look up to him, because he was actually the first black person to graduate from the University of Harvard, which is a big deal. It's an Ivy League school. A lot of his credentials from Fisk, they didn't really acknowledge it at first because it's a historically black college, but because of his body of work. That's why I stress to people, it doesn't necessarily matter where you go, but it matters about how skilled you are and what you have to offer to people. So he ended up graduating in 1888 and then got his advanced degree and started working between towards his PhD at the University of Berlin. But unfortunately, his funding had ran out at that time. So he then looked 
then you return back to uh, the university, to the United States of America, and then I ended up getting his doctorate degree and teaching at Wilbur Force University in Ohio. And then actually married one of his students, which is interesting, in 1896. So, and his thesis was on the suppression of African slave trade to the United States of America, which stemmed from around 1638 to 1870, when we know about the abolition of slavery. So that covered a, a long span of his right of his life. I didn't go to it intuitively because I don't want to cover I want to cover some of the main contributions that he had. So going forward, he wrote the book called The Philadelphia Negro. So talking about how black people were in the north side of the American society at that time. So he was doing a study on that, that's why they call him a sociologist. So he was doing a case study on that and seeing how people in that society, in that time, in that city, were able to recuperate. And you could see that a lot of them, those communities were stricken with poverty, poverty, sorry, crime and lack of education. So he was looking at these things through the lens of field work to see what the black people actually need in order for us as a people to be successful. So he noticed in a predominantly black area in Philadelphia. And if you're offended by the term Negro, don't be offended. It was a word that they used at that time. We don't use it today. It just means black in Spanish. But we don't use it today because we know. We just call them African Americans, if you're there, or if you're where I'm from in Canada, Afro-Canadians. So he was actually one of the first people to start talking about Black nationalism, or what's it called, better term, Pan-Africanism, along the likes of Marcus Garvey and later Malcolm X. So I think he was the precursor for that because he was looking at it from as just black people across the board and later on as he got more in-depth in with his studies. So we understand that with W.E.B. Du Bois, a lot of the things that he got or studied was from the Bureau of Labor Statistics in Canada, in the United States of America at that time. So he was looking at that and doing data analysis and investigations to see how black people were treated in that time. I remember when he was doing all this study, it was the post-slavery, so abolitionist slash reconstruction era, trying to get black people integrated into society again. And with that said, he had to also look at the Jim Crow era, which was really bad because in that era, in that time period, black people were murdered at an all-time high rate with the lynchings and false accusations of crimes due to the death penalty. Because at that time in America, the death penalty was legal in majority of the states. It wasn't until later on, post-Jim Crow, when they started refining it in some states, unless if the perpetrator, so the suspect, 
is guilty of, like I would say, mass murder in some states today. They are valid entry into the death penalty. So he ended up writing writing one of his best um, pieces, The Souls of Black Folk, which is understanding like what I was talking about, the whole double consciousness thing. He was explaining that in there. And he actually, in essence, started looking at how the Black experience was being overlooked or looking through the Black lens, I would say. And he actually, when I was talking about Booker T. Washington last week, he talks about how he doesn't agree with that type of philosophy of thinking of Booker T. Washington. He doesn't agree with the conservative black voices. And he wants black people to earn for themselves and to be more educated in that sense and not necessarily take a back seat, but to get an equal opportunity. So he and he looks at it through the double consciousness, like I mentioned before. But also when you read his readings, you or his books, shall I say, he has an interesting way of parlaying these things. He uses poetry sometimes, and then he uses statistical data in it as well. So you can see the common factors, and he paints it in such a interesting way where you do not get tired or over bombarded with it but he presents it in such a unique way that's why a lot of people like that book and he was actually one of the founding members of the NAACP for those who do not know what that is that is the national hold on let me just get this straight for y'all I should know who the N. NAACP is, but by it is an acronym or initialism. And it actually is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. So, in essence, it's a civil rights organization formed in 1909. And he was one of the founding fathers of that movement, as long as, along with Mary White. Abington and Moorfield story. So those are the founding mothers and fathers of the NAACP, which is in true because without the NAACP, we wouldn't have the social rights, civil rights movements with Dr. King. We wouldn't have Malcolm X. We wouldn't have all this progression that we have today. And you can see it going forward. So it was the starting of a new movement. And then he was ordering a lot of, uh, I think it was a more of black publishing news articles because there was a lot of white publishing articles at the time and they weren't really true to facts. Sometimes they would paint the black people as villainous and the media was biased at that time. And you can sometimes say it's biased today, whether you're on the left side of the spectrum or the right side of the spectrum. If you like Fox News, then you would be more biased towards conservative way of thinking. And composed to the left, you can see that CNN has their agenda from what I'm seeing. So you can use those two things as an idea. So it gave black people more of a voice in print in their experience. Now, he 
just like Karl Marx was more of a communist and he actually joined the communist party in 1961 after moving well actually before moving to Ghana because he, and the reason why he moved to Ghana because over his life he experienced a lot of things now he was a little bit fortunate than other people not to be born in slavery but he's witnessed that America wasn't changing at the rate he thought it should change due to the empirical data and the evidence that he not only he provided but so many black people provided and he believed that we have to look at things morally and he believed that people in that time in his era were for his people weren't being treated properly so once he reached a point of his life he got fed up and ended up moving down to Ghana so he was more of a communist and believed that the state should give people I'm not going to get into all the communism versus capitalism thing because that's besides the point but I'm just letting you know his thoughts and his ideas so after this quick break I will talk about a lot of his writings and read some excerpts for you. This is the Didi Fuego Show. Please don't go anywhere. Relax, enjoy the show, because we will be right back. So we are still talking about W.E.B. Dub Boys. Now, I only have heard of him around three years ago. So in, when I was in grade 12 and wasn't really familiar with these people. That's why I'm doing these things now. I'm going to try to make it a mandate from here on out that I do this every February. Because a lot of us, we don't know about our history. And this doesn't necessarily mean just about Black people. I'm just talking because I am a Black person. A Black man, to be exact. And this goes for other people from other cultures if you want to talk about asian history or hispanic history or north american not north american cut that out native american history it's important for us to all know our histories and now with the black history it's kind of grandiose as long as everybody else as well because you have the caribbeans as well and you have the black moors who traveled around, but at the end of the day, most of us know that our genes tie to Africa. So that's why a lot of the thinkers and theorists out there talk about Pan-Africanism or Black nationalism. So just talking about Black people in general, because even if you look throughout different cultures, Black cultures, at heart, we have more similarities than we do differences. Sometimes the islanders like the caribbean people might not agree with some of the african people sometimes the africans don't agree with the black people who live in north america but needless to say we have more in common than we have differences so just keep that in mind as we go along right here so we're talking about the boys and i'm gonna read you his excerpts from his book the souls of black folks and 
I really think this is important. Listen to what he's saying in here. And this is what he says. This is, I think, paragraph three split into two. So he says this. But they should not keep these prizes, I said. Some all I would rest from them, just how I would do it. I could never decide. By reading law, by healing the sick, by telling the wonderful tales that swam in my head some way. With the other black boys, the strife not so fiercely sunny. Their youth shrunk into tasteless psychonfancy or into silent hatred of the pride world about them and mocking distrust of every white, everything that is white. Or wasted itself in a bitter cry. Why did God make me an outcast and a stranger in my own house? The shades of the prison house closed round about us. Walls straight and stubborn to the white, to the whitest, but relentlessly narrow, tall and unscalable to sons of night who must ploy darkly on the resignation or be on availing palms. against the stone of steadily half hopelessly watch the streak of blue above and now in this paragraph what i take away with it is he's asking and pleading to god why is he an outcast or why does the black people feel like outcasts when they never asked to be they were just born in a situation where they feel as strangers, even in their own home. This is the one question that he asked, and I'll repeat it again. Why did God make me an outcast and a stranger in my own house? So that stuck out to me because it shows his idea of double consciousness and everything else, talking about how they feel and how they are being mistreated and how they should feel at home, but they don't feel at home so it's weird it's like living in a house and not feeling at home so he later goes on to say this after the egyptian and the indian the greek and the roman the teuton and the mongolian the negro is a sort of seventh son born with a veil and gifted with a second sight in his american world a world which yields him to true self-consciousness but only lets him see himself through the revelation of the world, the other world. It is a particular sensation, the double consciousness, this sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, of measuring one's soul by the tape and of a world that looks on in amused contempt and pity. On, or sorry, one ever feels his tunis. An American, a Negro. Two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled starvings, two warning, 
ideals in one dark body whose dog strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. So you can see him painting the picture, showing you, illustrating how in before when it was the Egyptians and the Greeks, in their society, as them only, they had their own ideals. They didn't feel like outcasts in their own land. They felt a oneness. But when it comes to the American Negro, it comes as a two-ness. There's a split. Because, yeah, he is an American, but he's not treated as such because he is treated less than. And then he's also treated as a Negro among his peers and among his family members. So there's a sense of, like he says, there's a constant striving or starving that goes between each other because there's two thoughts. He's like, yeah, I'm an American here, but at the same time, I'm still a Negro, which don't, doesn't have as much rights as the white American. So you can see that going onward. And it is very important. And then he talks about, I think it's this part. This is, I think, paragraph four, section one. He said, the history of the American Eagle is the history of strife, the longing to attain self-consciousness, manhood, to merge him, his double self into a better and truer self. In this merging, he wishes neither of the older selves to be lost. He would not Africanize America, for America has too much to teach the world and Africa. He would not bleach his Negro soul in a flood of white Americanism, for he knows that the Negro blood has a message for the world. He simply wishes to make it possible for a man to be both a Negro and an American without being cursed and split upon the, his fellows, without having the doors of opportunity close roughly in his face. So you can see that with the double consciousness, he does not want, the black man does not want to Africanize America. So change America for what it is in regards to what it stands for. But at the same time, he doesn't want to lose his black soul as well. He doesn't want to strip himself of the Africanism or the Africanization that he has within himself. And it was so cool to me to see that it's a, basically like a balancing act because you don't want to go too far left. You don't want to go too far right because you're going to fall. But they still want the opportunity. But because of the Africanness, if that's a word, I don't think it is, but we'll use it today because it follows it, the linguistic properties. But if he loses, if he wants that opportunity, he doesn't want to lose the blackness that he has. But sometimes those doors get shut in his face just because of his skin pigmentation. So it's interesting to see. All of that, that is transpiring. And I was, when I was reading this, I was actually, I wasn't appalled, but I was very intrigued. 
Paul wouldn't be the word, but to see the truth in what he was saying. And he would obviously know a lot more because he lived through it. I didn't. I'm just reading about it. And I just think it's important for us to read these types of books to understand how people live before. A lot of people want to erase history that is negative. But I put it like this because when time comes, a lot of times progress comes with it. Back then, most people weren't as sensitive as people are today to certain things. They overlooked things, didn't look into it. When it comes to history, I applaud a lot of the innovators, the creators, the rulers of those time periods, I learned from them. Not all of them. All of, some of them are bad throughout their lifetime, but some of them did bad things, but their good thing, their good qualities outweigh the negative ones. So I look at it as this, that we shouldn't erase all of the negative things throughout history, but we should look at them. That's why I believe history is one of the important disciplines to ever grace this planet. Because with these documentations, with these excerpts, with these um, archetypal facts that we get, we can look at what happened throughout history and we do not want these things to repeat itself. So we can work and call things out. Now, I'm not saying that you should be super sensitive because those people weren't that sensitive back then. That's not what I'm trying to say because a lot of people in my day and age were too sensitive. But there needs to be a happy medium. There needs to be a balance. And with looking at these experiences that Du Bois and people like Ida B. Wells and people like Julia Cooper who are documenting these things down. Frederick Douglass, doc documenting his life down. Booker T. Washington, documenting his stuff like down. And seeing what happened. We can look at it, thank them for their body of work. We can work on what they've worked on. And we can prevent certain things from reoccurring. So that is why I like W.E. Du Bois. W.E.B. Du Bois, I like his style, I like his work ethic. You can actually listen to some of his speeches or I think, yeah, you can listen to some of his speeches on YouTube in regard to teaching because he was an avid educator. And like I said last week, he didn't really agree with Booker T. Washington, but needless to say, he also advocated highly about the black vote. So voting in politicians at that time, actually there was one congressman that was actually black post-Reconstruction. I think, I forgot his name, but I'm going to search it up for you guys right quick. So W.E.B. Du Bois, he was the one that, actually wanted people to vote and push for the political black agenda, which is important because when you have more 
political agenda, you have more of a voice to get the means that you need for your people in a certain society. So, hold on. Yeah, so when I... So, in essence, it is really important to see his work and what he was pushing. So, the first black congressman was actually elected elected, um, in Mississippi during the Reconstruction. And if you know your history, that is actually pretty odd for me. You would think it would have to be something to do with people who live in the North, but it actually was someone who was in the South, which actually could be, in retrospect, more of a push because there was a lot of prejudice in the South, especially in states like Mississippi, where lynchings were very high during Reconstruction era, during Crow. So his name is Hiram Rhodes Revels, and he was the first Black member of the Senate. In 1870. So that's so cool to see. that. So it was during his life as well. During uh, Du Bois' life. So he pushed politics, education, black people going to high-end jobs as well. So you can cum- accumulate wealth. So he looked at uh, economics for, his, for their uh, society or for their people. So they don't have to rely on... Black people. I mean, they don't have to rely on the American government as much as they should. So it is important, I stress this, to learn these things. Hopefully, you guys, you are not bored. Hopefully, you are involved with this type of uh, learning because I really like it so very much. Also, it teaches me a lot as I'm speaking to you guys. In order to do this style of podcasting where it's not me talking about a specific topic, but talking about many topics within the confines of a person's life. So it's an interesting thing because I'm giving you a, a quick biography and all of the accomplishments of these people while relating it to society today, yesterday. So it's a bit of history, a bit of politics, a bit of economics, a bit of mathematics, whatever it is. I'm accumulating everything and putting it together, making it a constituent. So I think it's really important to learn about these things. Learn about your history in general. Even if it's Christians out there listening to this. Learn about your Christian history. It's important to learn your history because it can show you a little bit more of your future or how to alter your future. This is the DD Fuego Show. So we're going to go to wrap it up. DVD where I wrap up and I sum up the show for you. So stay tuned. Yo, we're definitely in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're definitely in the house. Welcome to Wrap It Up DVD where I wrap up and I sum up the show for you. Hopefully, you guys learn something new. Sit down and educate yourself for a bit. Sometimes you some of you guys are not even in school right now. Some of you guys are Maybe adults working, young people working. Who knows? We've taken a, a gap year or whatever. I, I don't know if my parents will let me do that. But 
wherever you are, it's important to learn. Now, when I talk about learning, I do mean that when learning doesn't involve the confines of school, Mark Twain said it best. My, I do not allow my schooling to get in the way of my education. So it doesn't mean that you have to go to school to learn. You can learn every day. There's many people who I know, who I look up to as mentors who didn't complete university, but if you talk to them, or didn't even go to university, should I say, but if you were to speak to them, you would think that they have their LLD or a PhD or an MD about all the stuff they know because they read and they learn. And this is just an extra thing for you to learn. Now, I do not say that I am an educational podcast, but I do advocate for you to learn something new. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, isn't that the definition of education? To a degree, yes, it is. But it's not where I'm teaching you something every day in the educational criteria format, but it's more or less me just showing you something new and you learn something. So learn something that you didn't know before and then also something that you can share. Sometimes I'll make... I'll call one, two joke to crack you up. So it's just an overall experience for you and me, as well as watching me grow, watching my thoughts grow as an individual, as a young man. I started this when I was 20. No, I started this when I was 19 years old. I'm 20 now, turning 21. So you can see from when I started to where I am now, to where I'm going, and you can see my thoughts change and how I'm able to articulate my views and communicate my views to you. So thank you guys for this journey. So going into Rapid Up DD, we understand that W.E.D. Du Bois was one of the first black people to graduate from Harvard. He grew up in Massachusetts, so he had different experience. So he went to school down south, going to UFIS for his undergrad. So he was experiencing the black south experience, but he also grew up in the north black experience he actually traveled to berlin so he understood that aspect i don't know if it was during world i think it was during world war one maybe he would have came back before because i know his funds ran out so i'm not too sure on the exact timing it was when when he came back from berlin but i think i mentioned it earlier throughout the show but he came back finished it and they end up being a teacher or a professor in Ohio. So he lived everywhere, and then he ended up dying in Ghana because he moved there and didn't come back to America. So you saw all his life, his life accomplishments. I do recommend you guys to read uh, The Souls of Black Folks. Highly recommend you guys read that. It's an interesting book, and I need to reread some of it. I only got to read a couple of chapters for school. So I want to read the book in its entirety to see what it was like, or maybe the Philadelphia Negro as well. And I do recommend you guys go to the CA, to the museum in Detroit. I forgot the name, but I'm going to say it again. But, They have the Smithsonian one, but I'm going to look at it a different way. There's the one that I went to 
in Detroit. And Detroit's not that bad as what it was before. But it's the Charles H. Wright Museum of American African American History. So make sure you guys go there. It's not too costly. And trust me, you'll walk away because it's taking you through the experience of black people. So it feels like you're at the beginning of black people and the existence of black people in Africa. It takes you from there. And it takes you all the way to where we are today. So I highly re- recommend you guys go there with your family, your friends, your loved ones, whoever. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode today. Hopefully, guys, you understand double consciousness now and try to look through it. Try to explain it to somebody if you really understand what I said. If you don't understand, there's tons and tons of uh, data and experience. Oh, no, data and field work and his writings all over the internet. So you can look it up through there if you would like to learn more. But I would charge you to try to explain double consciousness to somebody or to look at it within yourself because that's the best way to start it is to apply what you learn to yourself to to a certain degree. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Make sure you share because if you share, it shows DD that you care. So on whatever social media platform that you so very choose to use, make sure you do that. If you have any questions, comments, assertions, and concerns, just hit me up at ddfuego15 on Instagram, DM me. Let me know why I pop. Let me know why guan. And we'll work from there. All right. So don't be lame. Ignite your flame. This is your boy, Darius D, signing off once again. So just chill. Just chill till the next episode.